Um, yeah, so as Graham mentioned, not going to read it at the beginning of the sermon. I'm going to sort of pick my way through it as we go. Um, part of that reason is it's it's one of those chapters where Jesus tells a story and then he goes ahead and explains what it means. And I feel like after reading that out as a as a whole reading, I kind of feel a bit redundant that you know Jesus has just told a story and explained it and unpacked it all, and here I am meant to try and preach a sermon on it, which feels a bit weird. Um, but lucky for you guys, I actually studied media arts, and part of that was we had to critique works of art, and we weren't allowed to say, you know, I like the colour or you know, it looks nice. They wanted us to write two thousand words about why it was the right colour and all the deep and meaningful stuff behind it. So I reckon I can turn Jesus' two-minute sermon into 20 minutes for you. So sorry in advance. So, yeah, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open and read along with me if you like. Um, So we're in Mark chapter 4. So starting there, it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So the crowds, you know, it's it's got too big, so he's got in a boat and pushed it off to shore so that he can actually, you know, get some breathing space and talk to the entire crowd, not just the people in the front row. And there's this little bay on the Sea of Galilee that's really interesting. It's It's been named Cove of the Sower, and it's near Capernaum, which, you know, fits the bill for where this place, where this is taking place. Obviously, we're not 100% sure, but it seems like a likely place to to say it happened. And it's so it's a small bay. It's probably, I'm not very good with measurements. It's probably only a couple of hundred meters across max. It's really small. And right on the shoreline, it goes up into some steep banks right away. And it kind of creates this natural sort of amphitheater. You know, it's like a, a C-shaped cove, really tall hills. So, yeah, it's, it's this amazing sort of place, and it's got great acoustics that someone standing on the beach at the bottom and talking can be heard from someone way up the top on the hill. Um, and people have done some recordings of people talking on the beach and way up in the distance is where the camera is, and you can hear them perfectly. You know, if it's a day where there's no wind, no car traffic, that sort of thing, um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing little spot. And it's it's estimated that that area could seat between five and seven thousand people. So you know you get a good crowd in this place that are all able to listen to him. It's it's an interesting spot. Um, and obviously, you know, someone's sitting on a boat and talking, they're going to get their voice reflecting off the water as well. So it's you know sometimes you you hear of back in the ancient times and a big crowd, and you wonder you know they didn't have microphones. How did they? How did everyone hear them? But it's it's amazing some of the things that can be achieved with sort of just smart design and, and acoustics. So yeah, have a, have a Google of what's it called? Sower's Cove at Sea of Galilee. If you're interested in in seeing a bit more of that, it's it's really interesting. So carrying on at verse two. So he taught them many things by parables, and, and this is different to what he's been doing previously. So he's been previously he's been sort of reading and expounding the scriptures, and what he's doing here this isn't repeating lessons of you know their Old Testament and things that they were familiar with. Here he's saying new stuff and new teachings. Um, and the, that Greek word for the parable, the, the, in Greek the literal meaning is um, throwing, which is bole or bowl, and alongside para. So it's throwing something alongside. And in, you know, in the context of conversation, it's, it's a comparison or an illustration. So what he's doing when he when he's talking in parables, he's he's telling them about something 
that they do know and understand in the hope that they will learn something that they don't understand. So he's telling them something they do know to teach them something they don't know, if that makes sense. And you'll you'll see this quite a lot going forward. He's going to start doing a whole lot of sermons about um, the kingdom of God is like dot, dot, dot. And he has heaps of these different parables about this. So he's, yeah, comparisons of something people do know about to tell them something spiritual that they don't know about. And so again, in verse 2, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up, came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop some multiplying 30 some 60 some 100 times then jesus said whoever has ears to hear let them hear so he tells them the story you know all about seeds and harvesting and this is something that they knew a lot about that this part didn't need explaining to them um you know we're, we're probably a bit more removed than they were. Um, maybe some of you are more into gardening than I am, but this, this, this understanding doesn't come as naturally to us, the, the detail of it. So in, in the story, we've got a farmer who's the one who went out to sow the seed. And back then, the way they did this was just by hand. You know, he's walking around his field, throwing seed left and right, throwing it on the ground. And then after they'd done that, they would then plough the dirt, either by hand or with animals, and they'd, you know, mix up the dirt and make it all fluffy so that the young plants can grow. And then next in the story, it describes a few different places where the seed fell. Um, as you can imagine, you know, walking around, you're just throwing seed all over the place. It's not the most accurate method. So it says some of it fell on the path, or it says the wayside in some other translations. And, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, my sort of default picture I have in my brain is that it's some lazy farmer that's thrown it on a concrete footpath or a driveway or something like that, and you think... It's got no hope of growing, obviously. Um, but it's unlikely that was the case. Um, so back then, they, you know, they've got these big fields of crops and the, the paths were just dirt paths. It was the, made of the same stuff where they grow the, grow the seeds anyway. But the paths were obviously trampled down from regular foot traffic. These were usually around the perimeter of the field, but if it was a big, big area, they might have some dividing so they can get access and go through. And the, just these naturally forming paths would happen, as, as you find in bushwalks when people walk the same path for a long time. It's just a dirt path that's from the constant trotting. Nothing grows there. The soil's all hard and compacted, and nothing can grow. So any soil that falls on that sort of hard, compacted ground, the paths... It's not going to grow, it's not going to get hidden by the soil when the birds come and snatch it up right away. And then next he says about some seed that fell on the rocky places where it didn't have much soil. And there's, there's a couple of different things that this could be referring to. Um, in New Zealand we're quite lucky with our, with our ground and, and the soil and how we grow things here. Um, but if you do a quick search, Google search for Israel landscape if you're not familiar with, with how the area looks there, you can't look anywhere without seeing rocks. You know, even the greenest looking parts, any lawn full of rocks everywhere. 
Um, so, so over there and, and a lot of the Middle East, the method, if you wanted to plant some crops or plant an orchard, step one was normally you had to prepare the ground. So step one is usually to dig terraces. You know, it's a really hilly country in Israel, you know, lots of steep hills. So they would carve steps into the side of hills and that would stop the water running off too quickly so it could actually sit where it was needed and it would stop erosion and it would, you would then be able to plant there. Uh, and, and secondly, once you'd tear a store, even if you managed to find a lucky area of flat ground, you still had to dig out the soil and take all the rocks out of it. If, it's likely you'd have a layer of surface rocks, small ones that you'd have to grab them and scrape them aside, but also as you dig under the soil, there's more rocks there as well. It's, it's, it's crazy. Rocks everywhere. And then... And I didn't realise this as I was researching it. There's, there's quite a lot of parts in the world that, that have areas like this that are just full of rocks. And lots of farmers are complaining about why, why do rocks keep appearing in my fields? You know, they, they dig them all out and they keep coming back. You know, is it the neighbours' kids throwing rocks here? What's going on? And it's, I'm not smart enough to fully understand it, but it's got something to do with rocks underground. And as the temperature changes and it, you know, you get a frost and it thaws out, the, the rocks underground they either thaw out faster or slower than the dirt. Graham's probably a better one to understand than this than I am. But something to do with it, it thawing out at different rates and it, and it slowly, they creep their way up as time goes on. So it's, I just think that would be a nightmare, right? <laughs> so in some places of the world, it's not a one and done. You, you can't dig out all the rocks, get your soil perfect and expect smooth sailing. It's, it's an ongoing thing. You've got to keep digging out these rocks. And once they had removed all these rocks, whether they were on the surface or buried in, they, they were often piled along the edge, like as a boundary line, um, creating a little rock, rock wall or rock fence. So in this story, it could be that the seed has fall, fallen around the boundary on a rocky, you know, a rock wall where obviously there's not a lot of soil and they're not going to grow well. Or possibly it's grown and it's fallen on soil that wasn't prepared well, that there's these rocks hidden underground that means the soil's really shallow and as the plants grow they try and take up root but there's too many rocks there and it's, it can't get good roots. Um, so yeah, a couple of different options for, for what this could be talking about, about the seed that falls on the rocky ground. And, and it says that those crops sprung up quickly but when the sun came they withered because, because the soil was shallow and they had no root. Um, and next it says that some of the seed fell among thorns. And this could possibly be thorny weeds that popped up in the middle of the field, in the middle of the crops. Um, back, you know, weeds have been around forever, and back then they didn't have a lot of good pest control. And part of what they did is, after the harvest, they would burn the whole field, and killing off any weeds and any unwanted stuff, and also works as a bit of a fertiliser, and then they'd replant what they do want there again. Um, but inevitably you still get weeds popping up. Um, so, th so that's one possibility, there's unexpected weeds popping up from the ground, or possibly again that they sometimes intentionally planted thorny weeds along the, the again along the boundary and along the edge, along those rock walls, as a means of a wall. Um, so yeah, the seeds that, spelt, that fell in those areas got choked by the thorns. You know, it's too much competition in the same space. And then lastly, some seed that fell on good soil. And that came up and grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, 100 times. So, this, you know, this is what you want in this seed, the stuff that lands on the good soil. Some of it actually does what you hoped it would do. And then Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And that's the end of the parable spoken at this point. Um, 
in Matthew and Luke, they must list multiple parables in, in this area where he was speaking. Um, so, so everything I've explained just now is is kind of so that we are up to date with what these first century guys would have known. They they didn't need that explained to them. They they knew all about crops and harvesting and preparing the ground. You know, that directly impacted their lunch and dinner. They were, you know, they were very involved and everyone knew about that and what to do and what not to do. And as we continue on in verse 10, when Jesus, when he was alone, the the twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So here Jesus is saying, you know, it sounds like this weird thing, but he's, he's actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6. And in, in the similar account in Matthew, um, the author Matthew directly links this, saying that Jesus spoke fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said and, and has a bit more of what that chapter of Isaiah says. So it's a direct linking to that. And this this is part of that story. I don't know if you remember, you know, the prophet Isaiah, and he's he hears the voice, you know, of God, who shall I send? And he responds, you know, here I am, send me. And then God says, you know, go and tell the people. And, and this is an, an example that, of what God tells him to tell to his people. And it's it's God declaring judgment on the people of Israel. You know, he says, you know, tell the people, tell your, tell your nation to be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the hearts of his people calloused. Make their ears dull and, their, and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn and be healed then Isaiah replies you know for how long and it's a, it's a long long response and basically you know God's saying until the land is deserted and everyone's sent away and it, it's this really dark passage um, and it's it's you know it's prophetic as we know Israel did get kicked out of the land and into banishment and all, and all that stuff did happen when they were taken into captivity but it's an example of God speaking judgment onto his people you know he, he's there and he's talking to them and he's telling them you're deaf you're not even hearing you're not listening to me so so Jesus when he's saying you know I've given the secrets to you guys but those who are far away I'm, I'm speaking in parables he's saying you know those who love me and follow me will understand but many will hear what I'm saying and not understand it, you know, it it's a form of judgment for those who aren't actually interested in godly things they won't be able to understand them or they'll dismiss them um, and it's a similar scenario with the prophet Ezekiel has the same thing going on and he declares all these warnings to, to the people of Israel time and time again and then he complains to God saying you know they're, they're just dismissing me they're saying this guy's just speaking in parables he doesn't know what he's on about there's nothing worth listening to And Jesus says to them, uh, continuing in verse 13, he says, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And then he explains to them. He starts to unpack the story for them. Um, and, you know, some, some Bibles have the title of this passage called the parable of the sower, um, and others call it the parable of the soils. And, and I think that second one's a bit more relevant as a title. Um, obviously none of the titles are original anyway, but it's, it's a bit more of a summary. It, you know, the the type of the soil is the focus of this 
parable. It, it's not the sower. The sower is just sowing seed. It's the response in the soil. So he's we've got four types of soil in there. And as Jesus unpacks, those are representing four types of people or four types of hearts. He says the farmer sows the word. So he's not sowing seed anymore. He's sowing the word. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So, yeah, instead of sowing seed, Jesus says he's sowing the word. That's what that represents. And some people, they're compared to the soil that's found on the path, you know, hard, compacted. The word isn't accepted there. Yeah. It's not protected by the fluffy dirt, you know, and it can't take root. And, it's, and that word is taken from them. And the birds representing Satan are looking for any opportunity to undermine the work of the sower, to steal. He continues saying that others are like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So some people are like those rocky places. You know, They hear, hear the word and at first they receive it with joy, but they have no root and they get scorched by the sun when trouble comes. And it says you know, when trouble or persecution, those, those are two different things. You know, trouble or affliction, as some translations say. You know, that's you know, something bad that happens and makes us doubt God. You know, feel like our faith is hanging on by a thread because of these circumstances. And, and I think if, if a circumstance makes you think that way, then it's likely that your faith was just hanging on by a thread in the first place, and it always was shallow. And, and I don't say that lightly, um, and I don't say that casually. That can happen to anyone, myself included. But it's, it's a sign that we need to go deeper. You know, The preventative is to prepare your soil, to prepare your heart, making sure there's room to go deeper there. And I think some of the biggest critics of Christianity are people who grew up as Christians. Um, I don't know if you hear some of the really vocal atheists, um, they, they had upbringings in the church, and then their faith turns sour when something bad happens, you know, the loss of a loved one or whatever it was. It, it's it's a very common pattern. And in some ways, I think this is a, you know, it's a shortcoming of a lot of the Bible teaching that we have these days with, you know, prosperity gospel or, you know, just listening to uplifting sermons 24-7, you know, that, that's what people want to hear, and, and there's a place for that. But those aren't the reality, and they're not what God promises. Um, obviously, you know, all, all these people in first century in the early church, listening to Jesus and following him, each of them experienced more suffering than, than we do, but they didn't see that as being contradictory to God's word or God's promises. They, they were able to reconcile those things. And yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to be living in the... Even 100 years ago is bad enough. You know, we're, we're very lucky with what we've got, but somehow we're unable to reconcile suffering with God's word, and it's... Yeah. And persecution, that, so that's different to to afflictions. You know, persecution because of the word, it says. So that's a bit different. But again, it, it, it's to be expected, isn't it? Um, we're very lucky at the time and the place that we live here in New Zealand, but many of the parts of the world still today, it's not very safe to be a Christian publicly. And Jesus makes it clear that we shouldn't expect the world to like us. You know, 
um, Peter says, don't be surprised when you get persecuted you know, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ. You know, keep rejoicing. That's That doesn't teach you that you shouldn't expect those things to happen. Um, and like I mentioned with the farmers, they had to clear out those small rocks below the surface and sometimes they keep popping up to the surface and that, that, you know, it's a regular job. You know, if they think they've got them all dug out and the, the soil's absolutely perfect, best soil in the world, give it give it a week, a month, a year, more rocks are going to be turning up. You've got to keep on time and time again pulling out these rocks. And it's the same with our hearts, isn't it? We, we require that regular maintenance. And, and it's hard work. I mean, I haven't really spent time digging rocks out of a field, but... The, it wouldn't be easy, <laughs> even today with all our fancy tools and things we've got. Imagine doing that by hand, and uh, yeah, that's that's hard work to prepare that soil. And Jesus continues with still others like seed sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful so that's sort of similar to the last example um, and, and I don't think it's intended to criticise but you know to warn that we need to check our hearts for those you know metaphorical weeds and rocks and we need to do that regularly you know, if, if you start a garden at home you're starting a veggie garden and you I don't know you buy premium soil 0% chance of weeds nothing in there and you throw that on your where it is your veggie planter or whatever you plant it out knowing there's absolutely no weeds in the soil if you were to go away on holiday for six months or so and you came back you reckon there'd be weeds in there yeah they find a way don't they like it's inevitable doesn't doesn't matter how good you start with that soil it's you're still going to get weeds showing up um and, and I think that's that's the lesson in there, you know, that we we do need to deal with those things. And he says, you know, dealing with your worries, you know, if you don't deal with your worries, they're going to compound and you're going to get more worries. And if you don't deal with your deceitfulness of wealth, you know, your greed, you will get more greedy. And if you don't deal with your desires, you know, you're going to get a more uncontrollable desires. It, it's not something that you can, you never have one weed. If you have one weed and you leave it there, it's going to grow, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's going to go to seed throw them out and get even more weeds isn't it it's yeah it's a regular maintenance job and lastly he says others like seed on good soil they hear the word and accept it and produce a crop some 30 some 60 some 100 times what was sown so lastly he's comparing those to good soil that they hear the word and they accept it and they produce a crop and when you think of like a crop that's produced, what what it actually produces is more of the same seed that was planted. Yeah. So it's producing more of the word. The word, um, or you know, maybe if it was producing fruit, that's a good analogy as well. But that fruit still contains the seed, being that original word. You know, the the goal of the word is to transform into something else that also bears more of that same word. So after explaining that one to them, he, he tells them another parable. And it's it's a completely different story, but it kind of builds on the same idea about why he's speaking in parables. So this is going in from verse 21. And he said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? 
instead don't you put it on its stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open if anyone has ears to hear let them hear so you, you know we we don't do that do we we don't light a candle and then put it under a bowl you know, back then they, they didn't have nice clear glass bowls like we do maybe that makes sense but you know a, a, a clay bowl you don't put that over your candle and make it dark the, the, the point of a candle is to create light you don't you don't hide that in verse 24 he says consider carefully what you hear he continued with the measure you use it will be measured to you and even more whoever has will be given more whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them so you'll be given more or it will be taken from you some of those those teachings sort of out of context sound quite bad don't they like it kind of makes makes it sound like god's wanting to if you put it in the form of money god's wanting to steal all the money from poor people and give it to the people that are already too rich anyway you know but, but that's not what he's talking about um, in this context he's talking about you know obedience to the word he says consider what you hear and so he starts consider what you hear you know if god is speaking and sharing his wisdom and his guidance if we're to hear that and then to shrug it off and not actually put it into practice not take it to heart why should he keep sharing with us why should he keep talking yeah to the measure that you use it so consider what you hear and then the measure that you use what you've heard so how you respond to those instructions and those teachings by god the, the measure that we apply the teaching that we're given the more of his teachings we'll be able to understand so, so Jesus starts by speaking to them in parables. He says, you know, I'm doing this to be com- confusing, that those who are far from me won't understand it. I'm doing this to keep things hidden. And then later on he says, whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. It, it, it sort of seems a bit of a weird way of doing things. You know, why not just get out with it and tell everyone exactly what's going on? Um, but it, it's a bit like a, a vetting process. Um, for for my job, I I build websites, and and part of that, you know, on on quite a lot of clients, we have these you know contact forms that might say something like, fill out this form to get a free quote or something like that, and it's a really obvious pattern that that I've learnt with through many clients that if if we have something say you know get a quote for a, we'll, we'll come and do a measure up for your kitchen or something like that, so people if you ask them for their name and their email address you're going to get 100 inquiries. And then when you follow them up, you'll probably get 10 people that are serious and 90 people that are time wasters that probably filled out these forms on 100 other websites and oh, we just kind of wanted to get a rough idea, but we're not really thinking about doing it for another five years, you know, something like that. People that aren't seriously interested. But if you were to change that contact form and you were to have 15 or 20 fields, if you were asking them for their name, their address, what their budget was, what kind of materials they liked? Do they like this style? If you if you make them do a lot of work for this form, you're going to get you're only going to get ten inquiries. You're not going to get a hundred, but every every one of those inquiries will be people that are actually serious. You know, they've they've put in the work. They're they're not wasting your time. They're actually interested in what you've got to offer. So it's I think this is similar to what Jesus is doing there. It's a vetting process. If people aren't interested in in hearing from God and learning from God then they won't hear from God and they won't learn from God, will they? 
but if people are interested even if you're just interested a little bit and you take that interest and you apply you apply what you've been taught that's going to magnify and, and reproduce into more interest and more application so speaking in parables is kind of this sort of like weird double-sided process you know for some it's it's judgment and it's condemnation you know that you're you're your ears are blocked, you're blinded, that you can't hear it and you wouldn't even, your, your heart is hardened. And for others, it's it's revealing, it's revelation, you know, D- depending on the hearts and the person's response to God. For some, it conceals truth and others, it reveals truth. And, and the other thing with that kind of method of teaching and parables is it, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? You know, if you're not interested in applying God's truths, then you're going to lose interest in godly things and lose interest in pursuing God. So, you know, whatever interest, there, whatever your first response is, is going to determine later down the track. If you do give it a try, if you hear something from God, and you, you try and, you know, give it a test, apply apply the lesson you've learned, then you'll probably find that you are a bit, interest, bit more interested and then you'll go to hear something more and apply something more and it, and it magnifies. And that's, you know, that crop that grows 30 or 60 or 100 times what was sown. It all depends on that response. So yeah, it's, it, it, on the surface, seems like a strange idea to for Jesus to speak in parables. I mean, if he really is the word of God and has all this amazing truth, I feel like, I don't know, I'd like to say if it was me, I'd be black and white and tell everyone this is exactly what it is, here's the proof, it's undeniable, all that sort of stuff. But that's not the method he takes. And in some ways, if he, if he did talk like that, that wouldn't give humans the option to have faith in God if it was absolutely undeniable. Whereas this speaking in parables, it, it it's a way of drawing interest and relationship and making people seek you. It's yeah, it's very very interesting. So yeah, it's it's not really a parable about the sower. There's only one sower, and it's not really a parable about the seed because there's only one seed. It's more a parable about the soil, a parable about the, the patterns of response to the gospel and the different ways our hearts can respond. So although the main point of this parable is the role of the soil and responding to the word, I think there's also some encouragement for us about sharing the gospel. Um, you know, In this story, the farmer just throws the seed out there. His job was to scatter the seed and the response depended on the soil. It depends on the individual. Um, the parable didn't really focus on how the farmer, you know, if, you know, if the farmer used the wrong kind of fertilizer, he wouldn't get a crop. If he threw it with his left hand or his right hand, it wouldn't do as well. You know, the burden of responsibility wasn't on the sower; it was on how well prepared the ground was. And obviously, we need to be careful, you know, with our behaviour that we don't turn people away from with the gospel, but. We don't actually need to do anything special to make the gospel more attractive or to convince people. When we're sharing the gospel, we are sowers of the seed, and the burden isn't on us to pull out all the thorns and rocks from every single place, You know, not from other people. Our job is to spread the seed, throw it out there, speak the truth, and let people respond. You know, it's definitely our responsibility and our burden to deal with our own soil and our own hearts and make sure that we're digging out those rocks and weeds so that we can respond appropriately. But not for other people. That's 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 on them. In terms of evangelism, it's spread the word. That's it.
you know, and we, we want to be good soil and we have a responsibility to do that, to prepare it well. Just a couple of questions here to, to finish off, just to ponder on over the week or so. You know, that are we willing to work hard to prepare our hearts in the same way that we'd have to work hard in thousands of years ago to dig rocks out of a field, or even today digging rocks out of a field? And you know, what are some of the rocks or weeds that you need to dig up and make room for God's words and God's truths? And what are some of the birds that we need to be chasing away? Any outside influences that are stealing God's word before it can do any work in you? And yeah, a reminder that we need to prepare the soil regularly, whether that's yearly or monthly or weekly or daily. It's not a one and done. We're going to keep getting these rocks popping up. We're going to keep getting these weeds showing up. And lastly, that what he was talking about at the end there, you know, we need to apply what we hear from God. Don't just listen to the word and think, well, that's an interesting story. But to do what it says. He says the, the measure that we apply it, the measure that we apply what we've heard, that will be measured to us. You know, that cycle that the more of God's word we apply, the more we make room for more teachings. It's this endless cycle that's been encouraged. So, yeah leave you with that to to think on over the week and pass you back to Graham.